Well, hello once again. You are listening to the Inspired Minds Podcast. My name is Jeff Watson. As always, I am your gracious and your grateful host, hopefully at the exact same time. That is kind of the idea. Thank you for listening to any of these. I have been having, my God, I've been having so much fun. A part of me thinks of this sometimes like an old radio show. Um, there were some people that were just really influential for me when I was younger. I take these drives out in the middle of nowhere across the country and listen to AM radio at the middle of the night and it's left at the dial and these crazy people talking about just all kinds of stuff. And it was a hoot for me. Then I actually ended up working as an intern at a radio station in Santa Barbara around 1993 when I was going to school. And that was a nightmare uh, because it was a morning zoo radio show. And the two morning show uh, DJ hosts hated each other, which was hilarious because they'd go on, on uh, right when the, after the commercial break, they'd be, hey, buddy, how you doing? Great to see you. Okay, how was your weekend? And then they cut to commercial and were just glaring at each other. It was incredible to watch. But... It, it did kind of give me this uh, this radio thing. And so I was thinking about this. I, maybe I could replicate the old morning zoo radio shows, which and if anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about, it's those morning show DJs where it's like, hey, good morning, it's Monday. you got to get back into the office. We're going to do a little sound effect now and play some Aerosmith. I can do that, obviously, but I just want to – I found soundboards, and this might help just a little bit. This is a very radio show thing. I probably won't be doing this anymore. But I did find one for a guy named Mr. T. Here we go. How you doing, brother? How you doing, brother? Got that. I can always throw that into some of my sound effects. There's uh, another one, Mr. T. Just call me up. You know, I make home visits. There you go. And probably one more. Let's do this. You know how I go. You know you don't know how I go. So I got to explain it, you know. That's kind of what they used to do on these old radio shows. Let's do a few more. I found this one. I mean, you can't go, cannot go wrong with this one. This would be a man named. This is Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers has his own soundboard. Oh, sure. Of course he does. And? Oh, thank you. You're welcome, Mr. Rogers, and uh, there's a few others, but my favorite one is the David Lee Roth soundboard, which I did find a long time ago. I used to use this, actually, in uh, on phone calls just to annoy people all the time, and it's a classic. Here we go, David Lee Roth, folks. There we go. Having another one? That's the Mighty Van Halen guy, folks, for those who don't know, and one last one, just for fun. They're all pretty much the same. Why do I play David Lee Roth soundboard right now? Because... It's my killer segue into the interview that I did. I mentioned the David Lee Ross soundboard in this interview, so I kind of thought I'd maybe play what it is. And it's hilarious to me, but who did I interview? I interviewed the lovely and talented Catherine Terman. Catherine is a music journalist, editor, story producer. She's got her own podcast. She's an author. She does a great radio show with Alice Cooper. I've been doing it for quite a while. Just an absolutely brilliant woman. I've been following her career for a very long time because... She wrote a lot about metal, um, and she writes about all kinds of genres, but metal is, is certainly her wheelhouse, and that's kind of my wheelhouse, too. I'm not, like, the biggest metal guy in the world, necessarily, but I do know my metal, like Priest, and you know, I'm the old guy, so that's kind of Judas Priest, again, for those of you who are not aware. I had a great conversation with her. She writes for Entertainment Weekly, LA Times, Mother Jones, Guitar World, Rolling Stone, I mean, on and on and on. She wrote this fantastic book, a co-author called Louder Than Hell, The Definitive Oral History of Metal. 
totally up my alley. I think he's like the greatest rock book in history. I love his book. So it was an amazing time talking to her. We got into the following bands, I noticed. Uh, the Flaming Lips, Slayer, Bay City Rollers, Sparks, fantastic, Dio, Springsteen, Devo, Tom Waits, Missing Persons, and the magnificent Crowded House, Neil Finn and Split Ends, all in the same combo. So this was my chance to get my music dork out. I do a lot of uh, Hollywood-type folk, and I love film, but my goodness do I enjoy talking about music, and I certainly had a great time talking to Catherine Terman. So as always, I truly hope that you enjoyed this as much as I did making it, because I sure did. Get your medal on, folks. Yeah! Ladies and gentlemen, the dazzled throng that I love saying, please welcome the fabulous, lovely, and talented Miss Catherine Terman, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, listen to the crowd go. Thank you. Holy shit, I can use a sound effect next time like for like that. That's an easy, that's easy. Hooray! Little background. And then you can get a rim shot for when we crack jokes. It's gonna be amazing. I can get a David Lee Ross soundboard. I know those exist. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's start the interview. Oh, we're already recording. Um, thank you so much for being on this. Um I've been following your uh, your writing for a long, 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 long time. And uh, I'm a giant music nerd, as I know you are as well. Yes. And I will talk about a lot of different things. Uh, but I, I will say that, and I said this to you, uh, Catherine, I believe in an email, but that Louder Than Hell, the definitive oral history of metal, is better than any other rock book I've ever, ever read. Like The Dirt? Nope. Wow. Well, thank you. It's so funny. I mean, I specifically avoided reading The Dirt because we were writing our book at the time, John Wiederhorn, my co-writer and I. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to know if I'm repeating the same stories. I just don't want it in my head. So uh, I put aside The Dirt as we were doing Louder Than Hell. And then I never read it, but uh, I did see the movie. And uh, I know that was different from the book, but I enjoyed it quite a bit. So there's my dirt story. I, I, I'm just being a bit dramatic. <laughs> yes. I, I really did. I, I just absolutely love the book. Um, and uh, you have, well, let me just start with this because you, you've been writing for, for so much and so much different genres. And what was the first thing that ever inspired you when you were a kid to do this? Like, was it a song or even a book? That's interesting. No, I think it was actually in high school when I was an okay student, but I always got A's in English. That was easy for me. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed reading. And then I realized that technically you're kind of doing criticism when you're writing a a paper, you know, once you get into high school, it's not Mm -hmm. just, you know, um, see spot run. And so I was pretty good at that. And then I started going out to see bands when I was about 16, because I grew up in Los Angeles and you could go to these all ages shows. I think the Troubadour was and still is all ages. Mm -hmm. And friends started taking me out to shows and a couple of my friends were already into music and bands. And I would go to Licorice Pizza not the movie. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I would pick up, you know, in the front, they had flyers for bands and all the zines and magazines and all that sure. stuff. And I'd pick all those up and read them. And I'd think, wow, I think I write as well or better than some of these people. And I'm going out to see these bands and maybe I should try writing about a band. And actually the first paper I wrote for, I think um, has been, you know, 
in the dustbin for a million years. It was called New Talent Street Scene. Whoa. And, uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I actually went, I must have called them because obviously this is pre-email. And I went up to their offices. I think they were on Beverly. And I think they thought I was, you know, cute, not in the attractive way, but cute. And oh, there's this teenage girl who wants to write for us. And they gave me a shot for whatever reason. And uh, it went from there. And then I, I ended up going to journalism school because, uh, you know, it went pretty well. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about the band. Like, give me the first, you have to know this. What was the first review you had published? Oh, wow. Gosh, I don't even know. Would you like to be my archivist and let me know? Um, that will, I, will, I will tell you that that band was an interview. And... Uh, they were, I think they were all women or at least a female singer. And they had a song about Natalie Wood. And I remember some of the lyrics were Natalie Wood. I really thought her acting was good. Oh my. Uh-huh. So, oh um, my. yeah. And also I didn't even know at that point I was supposed to record interviews like we're doing <laughs> now. So I'm frantically writing down things. Um, Hey, hold on. Wait, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Go back. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I will speak slowly for you. <laughs> this is a joke. Ha ha. Yeah. So please, please answer the question. Uh, what is it? Please answer the question in the answer. Yes, uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of my beginning. And then I think it was after I went to USC for journalism school and um the, the Daily Trojan, shout out to the school paper. Yep, and yep. I uh, started writing for them. And then I knew I was supposed to record and have a something called a lead, which is the same as an intro. And uh, yeah, I learned the basics there, which I was I was very glad to do. And then a guy named Bruce Duff. Who was oh! like, hey! <laughs> do you know Bruce? I love Bruce Duff. Oh, my God. I've known that yes. guy for 30 years. Exactly. Well, I'm going to give him credit because he was so smart. He was a well, I mean, he's everything. He's a musician, a publicist, yeah. a writer. So yeah. at that time, he was, he might have been at the label Triple X, or he yeah. was at, or maybe he was at um, PR firm. But I guess he saw that I wrote about metal, because for the Daily Trojan, I wrote about everything from, I interviewed uh, Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister. That was one of my early ones. Okay. But also some LA bands like, um, oh my God, not Haunted Garage, though maybe them later. But, you know, that era of, of early 80s bands. And Bruce saw it and he's like, hey, want to write about one of my bands? I can get you into Music Connection. So it was double double great for him. He's like, all right, you know, I've, I've got my in here and I'll place her right into Music Connection. So it was perfect for me, great for him. And that was kind of how it began. He was the, I think, the reviews editor at Music Connection. He's always done a million jobs and he still does. And I'm the same. So I guess I've, I've modeled my life after Bruce Duff. We all should. This is the yes. Bruce stuff. You know what? This is basically just the Bruce stuff episode, ladies and gentlemen. You have no idea who this guy is. But... So I was thinking about this, and you know, there is, I believe at least, there's a pandemic of disconnection going on, and it has been for an incredibly long time. But the pandemic itself, you know, kind of like really amplified it in politics and all that horrible stuff. Yes, but I do believe that art can connect us all, and and I think it's a, I think you would agree. It's a fair statement. Yes. Um, and, you know, I, I got to say this, actually, just, just realize this. this is a good example of this. So I was at the grocery store about two days ago, and there was this guy who had like a Trump sticker on his um, on his uh, car. And he gets out and he's like this biker dude, but then he has a Pantera shirt on. Uh -huh. So I'm like, Pantera. 
right? And then we were immediately friends. We didn't talk about politics at all. Nice. And I, I intrinsically hate those people, but it was the, but I realized that music really does it. I've noticed that. So the question becomes, why is metal a constant with that kind of a connection? Well, you know what? I can't speak to all genres because like I, I don't, you know, follow behind Katy Perry's tour in a VW or anything like if I was a Grateful Dead fan. But I, I think a little bit that metal has always been somewhat of an, you know, underground, not socially as acceptable as, you know, a Michael Buble right. or something like that. You know, it's a little scarier, a little darker, you know. The straight people don't get us, man. No, it's just, you know, it's not quite as mainstream as a lot of other genres. So when you you spy someone in that T-shirt or in that tattoo, whatever, um, it's kind of an instant connection. Like, oh, they're a little bit of a weirdo, too. We probably have a lot in common. So we're going to high five and it's going to be fine. And it always is. So, yeah, I mean, it's the same, I think, with punk or anything that's, you know, where the kids feel slightly marginalized or rebellious or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, alone, I guess. Um, so yeah, I would, I would think that is, that's sort of my explanation for it. That makes perfect sense because it's community, right? Like, and you're absolutely right. I, I know just intrinsically know that some random death metal band in Norway sells far more t-shirts than Michael Buble. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's (laughs) funny. I, um, you know, I've been going back to concerts since, I guess, like the middle of last year, you know, in, in the COVID world, we restarted Madison Square Garden here in New York, I think in June 2021. And um, that was the first big, you know, arena type show that I went to. But I hadn't really been to any huge metal shows until a week or so ago, maybe two weeks now. And it was Judas Priest. I just felt so happy to be in this big room with all these people. And, you know, some of them, like you're saying, maybe they weren't my political people or whatever, but it didn't matter. And like, you know, it was a big love fest. You know, it's funny. The, the, the guy behind me, um, I was just looking around, looking at the crowd and I happened to catch the eye of the guy right behind me. And then he like, nodded at me and looked down and then I looked at him he was trying to pass me his joint and I'm like oh my god it's just like high school <laughs> and then I said you know I shook my head no because I'm like eh COVID joint that's a way to get it you know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know but yeah times haven't changed that much it was just great to be back in that community no you're right and I, I will say this too as well and actually I want to hear first I'm going to add, explain the biggest connecting thing I've ever seen at a show, and then I want to hear yours. Oh. Mine was I finally saw Bruce Springsteen like 10 years ago, and I was all, never a Springsteen guy for some crazy reason. And I finally went to go see him, and he, you know, 20 hour shows that he's doing with Clarence Clemens, by the way, it was his last tour, so I got to see that. Oh. And, but he did the thing where he plays Born to Run, and the whole, they just turn the lights on. Whole show, the entire place is lit up, right? Okay. Like by that, by the, uh, not stage lights, but, you know, the actual overhead. Yeah, like it's time to go home lights. <laughs> yeah, and everyone's looking at each other because that, at that point, the almost the stage kind of washed away. You know what I mean? Right. It was like, I am with you because there was, we're all connected with this light, and everybody's singing along, and everybody's drunk, and it was amazing. Oh. And it was a simple thing. Just turn the lights on. Interesting. I That's... That is kind of weird because, you know, usually the lights yeah. on kills the vibe, right? Yeah, yeah. 
But you look around and you see everyone's in the same the same headspace. Wow. Yeah. So yours? Well, first of all, I'll, I'll say in solidarity, I was never a, a Springsteen girl. Oh, really? And I did. I actually avoided seeing him. I like turned down tickets a few times. But finally, when I did see him, I totally got it. Yeah. I it great. But exactly. I don't think I've seen him since. But I would. <laughs> I'm doing a seven day show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, I wish I'd kind of gotten to see him on Broadway because that seems yeah. so and cool but that also seemed like it was seven hundred dollars so you know we journalists don't always get free tickets by the way um wow so that's that's an awesome question it the funniest thing is i'll just give you my most recent time when this happened i mean there's times when i've seen a show at the viper room and like cried because i was so happy and so moved and maybe Mm -hmm. a little drunk as well maybe that um but literally, again, it was uh, about three weeks ago when I went to see Sparks. And yes. Yes. And I was blown away. I went by myself because I did get one free ticket. Um, and I don't mind going to shows alone. I don't know how you feel about that. I, but it was, whatever. Fine. Yeah, it was totally fine. But I felt like everyone around me, they were my people. And then, and then it was like, confirmed when and i'm not a fanatic i mean i love them but i'm not uh i can't tell you every song on every record whatever i just really have a huge affinity and love for them and you know when they do they're they're just so you know peculiar ron especially and you know he could just look at the audience and he could just kind of acknowledge us with with like a raised eyebrow yeah and the applause just increased and increased the more he stood there i mean you could hear it get louder and louder and louder. It was just like giving, it's giving me chills right now. Uh, it was just, I mean, he was just standing there looking at the audience and people were just, you know, they would be doing the Wayne's world. We're not worthy if, yeah. if there was room, you know, in the seats. <laughs> it yeah. was just really, really special. I, for a long time, actually, since I was 18, I remember when it hit me. I said, music is a ladder to God for me. It, and I've, I've been saying that forever, you know. And but also I just thought about it. Great art really is a ladder to God. And that's what I think we experience when we had that kind of connection. Yes. Yeah. And it's I mean, for me, it's usually instantaneous. I mean, you know, there, there's records that I like over repeated lessons. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is good. But it's very rare that something hits me immediately. You know, a painting or whatever, you know, I'll be turning the page of a magazine and there'll be a, you know, a painting there as an illustration or something. I'll be like, oh, my God, who is this? And yeah, that does not happen a lot to me. But but when it does, it's amazing. I mean, I'm I'm not even sure the last time it happened to me musically. It probably happens like once or twice a year. Um, and that's not to say a lot of people I write about I don't love and think are great. But where it hits me, it's like, this is my thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, because that touches you as a, I mean, yes. don't forget, I'm like kind of a therapist now and yeah. I know what that is. You know, it's that it, it's speaking to you because it wants to, in a sense, like heal you from it. Maybe. Oh, wow. You know, okay. I, I'm not sure. I'm clearly making this up as I'm going along. <laughs> How much <laughs> like, do I owe you for this session? <laughs> it's funny. The last person I did an, an interview with yesterday, I said, uh-huh. walk 50. Exactly. Every session, you guys pay me for podcasts yeah. now. This is that's the business model. Oh God! Anyway. Yeah, it's uh no. I love the connection. Is what it's all about. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Yes, hundred percent. And also, 
the like the opposite of connection is addiction. Wait, really? I think so. I think okay. so in a lot of ways. I really do because when oh. you're when you don't feel connected, when you don't feel like you're a part of something, when you don't feel connected even to yourself, what are you going to do? You're going to reach out for something, usually drugs oh. or alcohol, to fill that void. Okay, I love this. I don't think anyone's ever said that to me, and I'm thinking I'm not. Uh, a discernible addict <laughs> in uh, any way. I was. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, I but when I am str- when I'm trying to write or I'm stressed and it's not working, I usually I'm thinking, do I want to drink? I'm like, oh not really. But usually it's chocolate or or yeah. some kind of junk food. That's so funny. Yeah. And I do reach for something to fill whatever I'm not. Yeah, it's it's extraordinarily it's, common. Uh, it's extraordinary. Yes. But what I'm trying to do is do that through connection or art or really, it doesn't matter to me. I tell people this all the time. Like I will meditate with pet sounds. From the yes. That's my idea of meditation, especially the acapella version. You know? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Like, that's it. Huh. Okay. I'm going to, wow. I'm going to think about this a lot. And by the way, I will let you know. Um, so after our dear friend and my high school friend, Amy Zaret passed yeah, away. Oh, Amy. So, so yes, I, I, I want to say it was 2015. I can't believe it's that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did get a tattoo sort of in her honor because I had connected with so many of her great friends who are, have become my friends. Some of them I was already friends with. A lot of them were Warner Brothers people and sure, from yeah. the past, um, including Tara Brennan and, and other great people I'd met there. And then I read the book or there was a phrase I loved in the book, Howard's End in the book. I mean, the, sorry, the phrase is only connect. And I have that tattooed on my arm and uh-huh. I got it kind of in honor of Amy. The full quote is only connect the prose and the passion and both will be exalted. And so it's right. It's a writing quote, essentially, you know, um, and it just, I don't know. So yes, connection is everything wow yes wow i know i i amy Uh, for those of you who uh if any you know people that are listening uh amy zaret was a uh, a co-worker of mine at warner brothers records for a very long time one of the sweetest human beings i've ever had a chance to work with and uh, be with and it helped me in a lot of other things as well that uh, occurred uh, before she passed away she was incredible go Catherine. And wait, here's the most amazing thing. I forgot, I forgot who I was talking to. I could have, I, I should have told you this earlier. When I started going to all these shows, Amy Zaret was the main person who took me to them because she was already know? out. And um, since she's no longer with us, though it doesn't matter, she wouldn't be ashamed. She was into the Bay City Rollers and that stuff like back in the day when <sighs> she was 13. So she, like I said, I had friends who were already going to see shows. And oh. that was, she was oh. a roller girl, but she took me out to see, you know, quote unquote, new wave bands. New wave bands, yeah. New okay. and stuff. So, and then when I would go, and she's the first one to, took me to the, take me to the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Oh, and, Rainbow. you know, over the years, funnily enough, when I, you know, come back from a, a trip to see Pantera or Typo Negative or you know, something crazy. She, she'd like shake her head and laugh. Oh, you were so sweet in high school, you know, kidding, of course, but right, of course, yeah, we, we probably met each other in I think 11th grade. And yeah. So thank you, Amy Zarrett for my career, Amy Zarrett and Bruce Duff. And here Amy we Zarrett, are. Bruce Duff, good human beings. Both. <laughs> and a little bit of college. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Moving on. Okay. I'll get to one. Now this is kind of sort of related. So 
I think part of the reason I was thinking about this today, part of the reason I love that Louder Than Hell book is that it's an, it's an oral history. And yes. I really like oral histories. Uh, Please Kill Me, the punk book. Yes. You know, oral history. I want my MTV. It was an oral history. Mm-hmm. It's always been a thing for me. And it made me realize, because my big thing is storytelling within yes. therapy, within art, within – that's really what this podcast is about, you know, narrative and mm-hmm. meaning life and all that. So – I love oral histories because there's, it's a lost art. Yeah. It's, and you know, please kill me, which you mentioned, that's what we modeled our book after. Um, in fact, I think we had the same agent and he, and he was saying, Oh my God, there, there should be a, a metal version of yeah. you know the punk scene. And we're like, Hey, that's we're the people to do it. So yes. Um, it was really, that was, that was our, our Bible, our teacher. Um, and thinking back, I'm not even sure the first oral history I read, I think it might've been, oh, was it, there was a book, uh, Edie, I think it was about uh, Chow Manhattan, uh, the Andy Warhol uh, yeah. actress, okay. Edie Sedgwick. And I think that maybe was an oral history, but it wasn't something I'd um, thought about, like you're saying how much you love them. I guess before I wrote Louder Than Hell, I wasn't thinking, yes, this is the format that everything must be done in. But um yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it, especially for the um, discrepancies. Uh, you know, you talk to three people in the same band and you get three different yes. answers. <laughs> yes. So, yes. Um, yeah, so that's great. And there's, you know, I know you mentioned maybe a off interview that you weren't a big Poison fan, but there's... Ah, the, <laughs> not really. Busted, but there's the... Um, the other oral history that came out recently called nothing but a good time, which is uh, basically the sunset strip era written by a couple great journalists, uh, mostly guitar magazine guys, Rich Beanstalk and Tom Beaujour. Nice. And that chronicles. Yeah. I'm, I'm in there. Hint, hint. Yeah. They interviewed me for my tales of uh, debauchery. debauchery. (laughs) (laughs) Believe me. I think I could do like three podcasts with you. You could do like one, two and three. Um, Because I got to move on. Um, yes. So, <clears throat> pardon me. Man, uh, here's a fun one without naming names. No, I'm going to go here for a second. Uh-oh. This is going to be a good one. Okay. Right? Uh, I'm going to tell you my favorite <laughs> quick rock star story, and then you will tell me mine, or you tell me yours. You ready? Okay. Okay. Yes. I love how the story starts. This starts with the following. So I'm at Hef's Mansion in 1992. As okay. one is. As one is. And uh, I met some industry thing, a young publicist, my uh, boss, we were at at the grotto or whatever it was. And my boss comes over to me and he says, hey, uh, Jeff, you want to meet Ronnie James Dio? Yes. So he walks me over to Ronnie and Ronnie comes over to me, you know, incredibly short, obviously. And and he uh, and I shake my I put my hand out. And for some reason, it comes to me and I say, well, I feel like I'm uh, feel like I'm shaking hands with the devil himself, sir. And he falls over laughing so hard. It wasn't that funny of a joke. Then took me to all of his friends and said, hey, want to come over here? Hey, to my new friend, Jeff. Guy. Hey, new friend, wow. Jeff. Person. And that was kind of it. <laughs> but oh, it was my awesome. God. It was awesome. That's, no, that's a great one. And it's you know what's funny? I was thinking I have a Ronnie James Dio story, but it's not that good. But I'm trying to remember the name of the place where it happened. So maybe you can tell me. So I was going to interview Ronnie for uh, BAM magazine. I had a column there for years called um, 
what was it called? Uh, wow. Well, I had, oh, raw power. That was I remember raw power. Raw power. Yes. yes. Damn. But I was, I think I was doing a separate feature on Ronnie. So he's like, let's meet at a bar or someone suggested that. I'm like, awesome. Now here's where I can't remember. I think this bar was in the movie Licorice Pizza, not to mention huh? Licorice Pizza 10 times. Did you see the movie? <laughs> Did you see it or no? I, mm, no. Okay. That's all right. I, and I have mixed feelings about it. So if you do see it, let's discuss it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a bar scene. It, it, all right. The place is on Ventura Boulevard. It was set back from the street. You had to go through like a little beautiful patio with trees. It was kind of like the cat and fiddle, but in the valley. Oh, and yeah. it was a French restaurant like Belle Rev, Belle something. Oh, that Rev, Rev. The, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so we were sitting there in front of the fireplace and I'm drinking with Ronnie James Dio. And then I look down and I see his little tiny feet and his super high heels. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And yeah. I'm, fi- I'm five, nine. So I was glad we were seated, but then after about two hours of drinking and we did talk some Satan and weird stuff as well, which is always fun. Wow. Um, like he leapt to his feet. He's like, Oh my God, I'm at a parking meter. And like he ran out the door, <laughs> like in the middle of our sentence. And uh, then he came back. He's like, I got a parking ticket. <laughs> and then he sat down and we drank some more and continued the interview. You can't so, give yeah, it was it was really nice. I feel I feel that restaurant bar like all the all the best ones are gone. But I'll Well, you can't give well, I think the moral of the story here is you can't give the king of Satan a ticket. Yes, I Just know. Yes, I'm sure actually he uh used to hang out at a pub further into the valley where there were a lot of, uh, I guess, 80s type rockers hanging yeah. out, like, you know, his band members and people like that. And I can't remember the name of that either, but it was definitely an Irish or British pub with a name like, you know. Oh, Shattigans. The Jolly Pigeon, oh, Flanagan. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Bono, the Pogues. Yes. <laughs> okay, next thing. Here we go. Yes. Same setup. What is the most metal thing you've ever seen? I will begin. Mm. Quick story here. So I uh, was working with Slayer and Mastodon at Warner Brothers doing marketing for a little bit. And I had the show put on by MySpace of all things in Arizona. And it was an underplace. There's like only 200 people Ooh. there. And it was a lot of fun and a big show. And it was Slayer, rain and blood, bloodiest show I've ever seen in my life. And I'm on the side of the stage. And I'm standing next to this woman. She's great. We're talking, blah, blah. It turns out she's Tom Araya's wife. And, you know, oh. then this little kid about no more than five, four years old comes running past me. He's got the headphones on. He's got two open beer bottles in his hands and he rushes past me. And I say to the woman, who's that? That's our son <laughs> giving beers to dad. Oh, my God. The most metal thing ever. So that's the reason you have kids. I didn't know. Good. Who knew? Good to know. Who knew? Wow. Um, oh, by the way, not even closed beer bottles. Sloshing towards dad. That's awesome. Um, it's funny, you know, all, all the kids of, of metal stars and rockers seem to be in bands now. I wonder if uh, his son is. Like, you know, um, like Scott Weiland's kid and... and um, uh, Scott Ian's kid, everyone named Scott. <laughs> Jason Bonham started this whole thing. There you go. Darn it. Um, I don't know my most metal thing. I, there's been a few. 
Well, one of my favorites is when I got to go on tour with Typo Negative. Um, <laughs> so, you know, traveling in the tour bus and all that. Wow. Um, and Pete Steele, I mean, this is probably anti-metal. Uh, Pete Steele said to me, I've been asked to be in this magazine. They want me to pose for Playgirl. Like, right. Yes. And I, and I told him, no way. That is so cheesy. That's your credibility will be shot. That's so not metal. <laughs> and then he did it. Yep. And I saw it and we put it on our office wall. So <laughs> even though. You know, I guess that was the time when you could still do something like that in a workplace. I love how the, I love how the one, I bet just maybe one <laughs> listener who knows what we're talking about right now. Yes, yes. I mean, I, yeah, Playgirl was the uh, the version of uh, Playboy for women and gay men, I guess, essentially, right? Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, so <laughs> they, I don't know what other rockers they had in there. Did God, they? Some, we got one big rock star. Come on. <laughs> Yeah. But actually, here's the funny thing. Um, so this was when I was at Rip Magazine and we could put it on our walls because Rip was Larry Flint and Hustler was down the hall. So if we had a naked rock star on our wall, it was kind of OK. <laughs> but we noticed because we were such big fans, all the, the women in the office, that they had flipped the photo because his tattoo was on the wrong arm. Well, not that we were really looking at his arm much, but we're like, oh, that photo's backwards. Look at that. <laughs> Like, look at what! <laughs> oh my God, so that's unbelievable! Here we go. Okay, so questions. Moving on. Yes. Um, I, you know, I am curious about this actually, because, like, how? Because I, I guess this kind of makes sense, but outsider music, and I'm including metal, and I'm including you know any kind of an outsider genre. Um, how do you think they've evolved from the streaming worlds? Or um, have when you, I mean, do you mean like changed or what do you mean? Yeah, financially changed, musically yeah. changed. Has it been easier for them to find fans to get T-shirts out? Right. Well, you know, I guess the thing is, it's it's funny. Um, back in the, the back in the day, <laughs> this was something I did not do, but I know a lot of friends who did it. They were metal tape traders, and they would send cassettes to yeah. England, and the, their English pen pals would send yeah. them like. Oh, here's the first King Diamond thing. And then you send them, here's the first rap demo uh -huh. or whatever. And, you know, that took a super long time. And then the magazines took months to come out. Um, and I wasn't even doing that. So now, of course, it's completely instantaneous. And you, you can find someone in, in Slovakia or Iceland or whatever. And in two seconds, you do not have to send a cassette through the U.S. mail. But I... I think it's it's it is cool that you can really get a lot of fans quickly. I am personally I've aged out. I'm not the right age, whatever the term would be for TikTok and all that kind of stuff. So, but I still do find a lot of new music via YouTube or you know Instagram stories or actually a lot of Shazamming on TV shows I watch. Oh yeah. Especially when I watch like a younger skewing TV show like Euphoria you know, so I'll just, you know, stick up my Shazam. And that's, that's how I discovered the, the singer Orville Peck, who I just wrote about. So, yeah, I mean, I guess technology in general, um, I mean, it's made it possible for bad people to put music. And when I say bad, I, I don't mean evil, you know, people who aren't very good. Like if yeah, I was yeah. to put something out, it could get out there. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you wouldn't want to hear it. Um, 
so yeah, I guess it's what's the word? It's democratized, equalized, and um, so yeah, I guess that's good. But it is overwhelming. At least we don't have as many of the you know back in the day, A and R people ruled everything. Every band wanted to get the attention of every A and R person. Oh, yeah. You know, and um, I've talked actually with a lot of people from Warner Brothers about that. How. Uh, I talked with Wayne Coyne from Flaming Lips, oh. you know, and how they would just cold call record companies and, and stuff like that. But no. no bands ever have to do that again, thanks to to streaming. Uh, again, I, ca- I can't speak to all the money that is not made by these bands, which they probably deserve from from their streams. Huh? But um, yeah, I think it's uh, for me. I, I wouldn't want to live without it. I guess to have all this access, it's. It's, uh, it would be hard to do without. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I've I was talking to a friend actually, uh, some A and R world, and the, the kind of the new quote unquote A and R people are the are the data nerds that they hire. Interesting, yeah. Because that's it, right? I mean, they're just like, oh, data. In fact, I'm, I'm sure there's some uh, program that they use, obviously, that they feed in the data information and see when people bounce out rates and demographics and all that, and then they make they can make shifts. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, I mean, it is scary to think that it is just a numbers game in, yeah. in some senses, I suppose. But, but you don't tell shishers, right? And this is a problem. This is my point yeah. about the outsiders actually being able to survive out there. Because that instantaneous thing that you're talking about, that idea mm-hmm. of, I'm going to go to my phone, boom, is yes. the exact opposite of tape trading, right? Yes, yes. The exact opposite. So you put effort into it. I had to drive to a, uh, I'm going to date myself, but I had to drive to a uh, record store to purchase mm-hmm. a record, right? I had to spend money on it and gas and going back and forth. Maybe it's too hot outside, but I do it anyway. I'm invested in it at that point. Yes. There's no investment. Yeah, that's a, very, uh, you know what? That's a very good point. Um, and I guess I, yeah, I guess that's how you can tell when I really like something, I will, you know, buy the special vinyl or I will buy the t-shirt or I will, you know, not mind paying 150 for the ticket, you know? Um, Yeah. It it is easier to be a casual listener with all that. And like you say, not be invested. So yeah, yeah, that's not a good thing. The, uh, the great Eric Satier, I think his name was a composer. He basically called it elevator music. (laughs) But, but, he, but he meant that, you know, I think right. he said it somewhere differently, but the idea is that it's just background. Yes. Siri, Siri, play me some shit I don't really care about while I'm oh doing the dishes. God. I wonder what happens when you do that. Have you tried? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. And then they would, Siri would say, I don't know what you like. You're weird or whatever. <laughs> no, but it will. And it'll just say, uh, uh, okay, I'm going to play you Creed. You don't like it. Oh, <laughs> It'll just know. <laughs> oh, that's painful. Yes. Here's so here's three doors down. <laughs> oh, oh. three days grace while we're yeah, at it. Yes. Keep anything, going. With a, anything with a number in it. Doesn't matter anymore. My <laughs> uh, favorite death punch. <laughs> it was just so sad, you know, and it is, I will say this is kind of ironic because now I am old guy, but I do remember even people telling me like, oh, that was just a CD case. It doesn't have the full artwork on it. Like, we had albums and stared at them all fucking day while we are getting high. Right. But God. that's the de-evolution of all this stuff. Like, Devo was right, like, 30 years ago. I know. Well, uh, thankfully, we still have them. And oh, that's true. Yes. In fact, I, re- I recently saw a f- our mutual friend, Lindsay Parker, in a, 
Uh, what are the flower pot hats called? There's a name for them. Of the um, energy domes. Yes, the energy dome. I think she had a blue one and uh, Mark Mothersbaugh had his red one on, I believe. That made me happy. <laughs> Go for We're that. nerds. <laughs> we are nerds. Next question. Well, you know, perhaps you can understand this now, uh, or maybe you can tell me a little live feedback would be great here. Because I often tell people that I'm somewhere in the middle of Dick Cavett and WKRP Johnny Fever guy. <laughs> dead center. I'm looking for dead center. Do I got it yet? Yes. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. You know, it's, it's funny. You know, I've actually been working in radio for like 20 years now. Um, and I still love terrestrial AMFM, which is what I do with uh, Nights with Alice Cooper. Yes. And I think Alice is probably, I don't know, who is he? He's between, you know, uh, Vincent Price and Groucho Marx. <laughs> so you guys would be great together. You both got your great uh, mental reference points there. <laughs> I will give you every percentage from this podcast right now, which makes no money, if I can talk to him. Deal? <laughs> sure, I'll take Done. it. I, I Ladies and gentlemen, you just heard it, you heard it here first. I could use nothing. Sounds we great. <laughs> we got a lot of it. <laughs> Yay. Wow, that'd be amazing. So uh, moving on quickly... Yeah, I'm moving. Oh, the other thing I tell people is either I'm a funnier James Lipton or a less interested Hugh Hauser. Oh, just like a little bit less interested. Yeah, good guy. Okay. Just a little. I, yeah, 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 that could that could do. I I mean I love his stuff, Hugh Hauser. I I like both. Yes, both men are greatest. Somebody. Greatest. Okay, this one I do want to ask. This is a good one too. What is the best thing that you think you've learned from doing this? Was it a specific person that said something? Right. No, I think it was that deep down, we are all the same with the same insecurities and awkwardness. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Because I would get so nervous before interviewing someone, anyone. Um, And I think, I don't know how I realized it. Maybe one of them said that to me. But then I realized, you know what? They're no better or worse than me. We're, we're all kind of connected. Um, yeah, yes. And so when I, I kind of felt that way, it made me less nervous. Though when I interviewed Tom Waits, I was still nervous because I'm he's sure not, he is better and different than me. Right. <laughs> but, but I think he was probably freaking out inside too. Like, oh my God, what if I'm boring on this interview? And <sighs> what if she doesn't understand me? And um yeah, so I think that, you know, as humans, we are all deeply connected, no matter the language, the age, the career, the whatever. And if you remember that, it makes you kinder to other people and, you know, feel a- empathy, I think. That's the thing. I keep telling people this is a when we recognize the connections that we all have. Yes. And we finally figure out what the fuck we're supposed to be. You yes. Know? Yes. It's uh it's exactly it. Yeah, the the playing field is leveled as they say. Um like Yeah, and I like, think that that helps me a lot. Like I don't I don't freak out and 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 fan or 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 faint in front of someone who I really yeah. like that I'm supposed to be a professional journalist with. <laughs> no. No. Um, um can I tell you actually one I, technically an interview it's supposed to be about you. I understand that, but I'm thinking about me now. Which I well, it's, it's the journalist in me bringing out the the rock star in you. Rock star in me. There you go. Yeah. That's the thing about you know interviewing artists. I guess is what you're kind of talking about. Right? Yes. You kind yes. of realize 
I did one with Freddie Johnston that you should go listen to if you haven't already. Oh. Um, yeah. And it was about art and like my second one. And, um, and it's just about connection. That's the thing. Like at the end of the day, it's what I'm realizing more and more this country needs connection. And this is what this podcast is supposed to do in a way. Yes. Right. This is my form of resistance, like the French against the Germans in World War II. Seriously. Wow. I'm not yeah. going I see people all the time. I've been doing this for the last year and a half, I guess, since the pandemic started. Right. There's all these poor kids getting yelled at in the grocery stores and 7-Elevens about oh. masks, right? Yes. So I thought, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to be nicer to these people. And I still do it to this day. If I see anybody hiding behind a counter, 90% of the time, I'll try and do a quick line, make them laugh, make them smile, walk away. Yes. And I'm pretty good at hitting it. And that is exactly what I am doing to fight against all this horse shit of disconnection. Yes. I mean, you know, I know in LA, uh, what is that? Missing persons. You don't walk as much as we do here in New York where I live now, but I try and meet people's eyes and, you know, nod, smile, hello, whatever. Um, You know, just to, again, to connect or, you know, and I love when it happens randomly, like when you're on a subway and, you know, there's something happens and then you catch the eye of someone and you acknowledge that you feel the same way about it. That's just, you know, that's what it's all about. Of course. And yeah. Or like turning on a light in a giant arena. Yes. Yes. So, what a, you go, so, Bruce. God, the best. Bruce. National treasure. Right out there with Emmy Lou and Dolly. Uh, so, again, thank you for doing this. I have one last final question. When you're writing, when do you know you're done? Oh. I guess when it's overdue by a day. <laughs> Perfect answer. Um. I think that's pretty much it. Uh, I mean, I could get into the nuts and bolts of my fabulous technique that I'm not teaching that. anyone, but yeah, I usually once actually in truth, once I, I uh, go through a transcript of an interview, I usually, there's one sentence or one something and I will just write in all caps and, and bold it. And then I'll, I'll leave that there. And when <laughs> I feel I'm done with the story, I'll move that quote up to the end and work around that. Wow. Yeah. yeah that's you. That happens. I used to be terrible with endings and I don't know if I'm better, but they used to be very stressful to me. Well, and on that charming note, I was <laughs> trying to go for something a little more up. Yes. Uh, let's hear your ending. Uh, Thank like, you. Good night. Let's just close with this. We'll close with this. Neil Finn, go. Saw your <laughs> hand. Let's talk. Let's talk. Uh, I saw split ends at the whiskey. <gasps> when? Was that? probably with Amy Zaret. Um, when I would literally, when I, like I must've been in 11th grade or something. Oh my God. Yes. Actually, I actually went with a boyfriend at the time. So I have to credit him. He was older than I was. So I have to credit him with having the good taste of all the Finns. Yeah. The Finn family. I would like to be part of the Finn family. Oh my God. I I've been a giant fan myself too. I heard message to my girl and I'm like, no, I take it back. I, which is a brilliant song as well. But I actually, I heard, I saw the video for I Got You oh. back when MTV would play anything. Yes. It was like, what is going on? This chorus is amazing. Yes. I have, I have my vinyl in storage, which I need to get out. It's got the, which record was it that had the etched laser etching? Um, <laughs> one of their albums. You're a nerd, you know, come on. Uh, no. <laughs> Um, anyway, I got to run, but here's the yes. thing. We're going to do uh, a little tradition I like to do now uh, at the Inspired Minds podcast. That is, 
I'm going to pretend to say goodbye. You're going to pretend to say goodbye. This doesn't mm-hmm. look lacking. Then I'm uh, going to stop recording, and then we're going to keep talking. Fair enough? Fair enough. Fair enough, ladies and gentlemen. She is on board because she is awesome. Thank you. Fabulous conversation, Ms. Catherine Turnman. I cannot really, honestly, it was wonderful. Thank you. It's always nice to talk with uh, fellow music nerds about kind of deeper subjects. So thank you for allowing me to do that with you. Of course. Uh, And everyone, I hope you have a... Did I ever tell you, Catherine, about the time that I was on Rock and Roll Jeopardy? (laughs) Maybe we can talk about that off the air. That's what I was going to say. I'm going to suggest actually doing that. (laughs) Bye, everybody.